Amen. God wants to meet with you today. This is going to touch on what today's message is all about. God's desire to meet with his children, to commune with you, to have that intimate relationship with you. The question is, will we say yes and lean into that, or will we draw back? Will we shrink back in fear? That's the question. Well, maybe, maybe an even more fundamental question before we get into that. Is that true? Does God want an intimate relationship with you? Is that the kind of God that we serve? Because if you talk to a lot of people, and probably even in this room, the, the spectrum of, of what we think about God is, is probably all over the place, right? There are folks, and you talk to them, and it's like, God, they feel the Spirit of God all the time, morning, noon, and night, like God is always there. He's just like, oh, he's just as close as the mention of his name. I feel him, and just, oh, it's so good. In the morning, I talk to him, and he speaks back to me in the afternoon and at night. And then there's others of us who kind of like, we hear that, and we think, is there something wrong with me, or are they crazy? Because then on the other end of the spectrum, you have folks who their concept of God is kind of like, he's, he doesn't do intimacy, right? Their God is like the God, it's kind of the, the old, uh, the clockmaker, you know, the God who speaks the universe into existence, just big bang. And then he's like, y'all have fun with all that. I'm going to go hang out in this other dimension, like the deists of 200 years ago. Or the God is kind of like the, the absentee father, you know, he, he doesn't really care about you. Maybe he birthed you, but then he's gone. Like the, you know, the dad who went out for cigarettes one afternoon, and he never came home. That's like their concept of God. And then a big majority of people in the middle might say, we're somewhere in between. Sometimes we're like, well, I, sometimes I feel like God is, is intimate. I feel him close. And he's like, you know, we have these times. And then I don't know where he went. It's like he's there and then he's not there, right? Like he seemed to be really into me for a while, but then he didn't call for three weeks. Like God's a really bad boyfriend. Like he's exciting, but you can't count on him. And, and we all have these sort of conceptions of, of God and what his real desire and intentions are with us. We bring to the table these conceptions. The truth is, I firmly believe this with my whole heart, is that all created beings, you and I, we were created with an innate craving for intimacy with with our creator we crave intimacy with that but for whatever reasons for so many of us there are different things that hold us back from that and for some of those things it's disappointment it's just past history right just the the things that have happened in your life it kind of made you gun shy that god really wants that with you for some people it is a bad conception of god it's just god is that absentee absentee god he's way out there He doesn't really care about us. And then for some people, the thing that is getting in the way is fear. It's like a fear of God, a fear of intimacy, a fear of what that would mean if God really knew me and I really got that honest with God, or a fear of what God's character is. Is he he loving or is he like really scary? Do I want to get that close to that God? And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today, because we are in week five of our series, uh, journeying, we're kind of diving deep into the the story of the Israelites between the waters. We're talking about this portion of their story in the Exodus, the book of Exodus, that comes after the crossing the Red Sea, but before they ever get to the, the promised land, before they get to that River Jordan, those are the two waters. And it's just such a perfect, beautiful metaphor for that season of our life, really the, that lifelong period of our, of our life, when we have been saved from our past. We've been saved from sin. You know, God set us free, yay. 
But now we find ourselves in life. That learning, that, that long season of learning to trust in God, growing in our faith. And sometimes in those seasons, it feels like the very forces of the universe are all aligned against you, right? Everything's trying to starve you or kill you. And that, God says, is when he shines brightest <clears throat> in your life. And his love and his grace is so sufficient to carry us through. But we, have to, we do we have to learn about, about his character. Um, and today, we're all the way to, uh, in the book of Exodus, chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, you can go there if you want to read along and make sure we're not making this out. And chapter 19 is exciting because the Israelites have finally arrived at Mount Sinai. Dun, dun, dun. This is the pivot point in the history, the story of Israel, Mount Sinai. So much of their identity for the next, till now, like 4,000 years of identity is formed here at this mountain. It's at Sinai they discover who they are in God's eyes. They discover who God is, his character. They discover God's view of them, what God, this relationship, how they fit in in terms of relationship. And so we're at the point of the story here where God is going to give them the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, we're not going to walk through the Ten Commandments. Um, we have done an entire series on the Ten Commandments before, although that was an awfully long time ago, uh, so we might revisit it ag again someday. Um, but today, the commandments themselves are not our focus, but rather just the whole scene around the commandments. There's some really weird things uh, that happened during the story of the Ten Commandments that a lot of us, myself included, we're just not aware of. That we just, they, they don't really come up in the, the, the Ten Commandments movies that most of us see. Um, and so we're so used to not seeing some of these weird details or talking about these weird details that even when we read it for ourselves, we just sort of shrug our shoulders and skip past it. Um, and I have to tell you, I, I think today's message and next week's message covers some of the material in the life of Moses that I find most fascinating in this whole series. Um, and so I, I just have to confess that today and next week are probably going to be my, my very favorite. Um, these are the moments in the story of Israel that have had just the greatest impact on me uh, studying through these passages. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be your favorite, but I'm just saying, I'm very excited about it. I am, as my grandma would have said, plum tickled about this passage. And I don't get plum tickled about marriage. In fact, I don't think I've ever said those words out loud before. <laughs> yeah, that's a little weird to say. I don't think it's going to happen again. All right. For instance, did you know, when it comes to the Ten Commandments, did you know that God gives the Ten Commandments at least three times? Three times. The first time God gives the Ten Commandments, it's not written on tablets of stone that most of us kind of think of, you know, from the movie, right, right on the stone. The first time he gives the Ten Commandments, they're spoken by God to the people of Israel who were gathered at the foot of the mountain. And that's how chapter 20 begins. Um, the first time he tries revealing his law to the hearts of all of Israel. And, you know, I always envisioned him writing them down first, but first he spoke them. But that fails because of the people's fear of even hearing his voice. And it, to them, it just sounded like this terrible noise, this terrifying trumpet noise. And so they ask Moses to uh, mediate instead. And so God gives the Ten Commandments a second time Moses, to, to Moses at the top of the mountain. Uh, he writes them down on stone. And then Moses comes down from the mountain, and he finds the people 
have already given up waiting on him. Uh, you remember the story? They're worshiping a golden calf. Kids today. I mean, it took them no time at all. They, they have been rescued. They saw the plagues of Egypt. They've been rescued for 400 years of slavery. They come through the Red Sea. We saw the manna come from heaven. He strikes the rock and the water comes out. He, God led them into victory over their first battle, you know, when the stick was raised up in the air. All of this, Moses goes up the mountain and they start worshiping a golden calf. It's like, I think, you know, it's like I live right next to a grocery store. And whenever I tell my kids, hey, I'm going to run to the store. I'm going to like grab a couple of things. I'll be back in like 20 minutes. Just don't burn anything down. Be good. Be kind. Be good. Do what you know you should do. Play your games, whatever you're doing. I'll be right back. Right? And I get in the car and I like turn the corner and my phone goes off the little doo doo and it's Amazon. You just made a purchase. And I'm like, ugh. Right? It took them that long. It's like the children of Israel were like, okay, bye, Moses. And he goes around the corner, and they're like, okay, let's make a calf. Let's make an idol. Here we go. He's gone. Uh, so what happens? Moses comes down the mountain, sees the calf. He throws those commandments down on the ground. They shatter. Because uh, Moses had a little bit of a temper problem, I think. And, and then he has to go back up the mountain. God gives him tablets 2.0. And eventually those tablets are stored in the Ark of the Covenant, where they remain for thousands of years until Indiana Jones discovers them and then he hides his eyes while the Nazi's face melts. Um, that part's made up, actually, but it's no more weird than some of the things we see in Exodus that actually happen. All right, so with that in mind, we're going to zoom in on some aspects of the story that I find really, really fascinating in Exodus chapter 19. We're not going to read it verse by verse, I promise. We're just going to kind of skim over the waters and we'll take a deep dive in a few places. Exodus 19. So they arrive at the mountain, Mount Sinai, and right off the bat, look at verse 3. Then Moses went up to God. Just stop right there. I have that underlined in my study Bible. Moses went up to God. I have it underlined to remind me of something. This, this is the actual geography of the story here is this symbolic reminder of the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Moses went up to God. He climbs, he struggles, he puts in all this effort to get close to God. That's the old covenant, all right? It's the old way. The new covenant is God coming down the mountain, coming out of heaven, right? As it tells us in Philippians 2, it tells us in several other places too, but these passages really bring it to light that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. But he gave it up. He emptied himself. Kenosis in religious language. He comes and he becomes one of us. Even taking the form of a servant. That is new covenant God. And we reject, us, uh, reject him, but he keeps on loving us. And so the new covenant, the direction changes. God comes down to us. But here, it's about Moses going up to God. He comes down. And several times you read over throughout this whole story, you'll read, he goes up. God, he comes down the mountain, up the mountain, down the mountain, up the mountain. God talks to him, he comes down the mountain. In fact, seven times he does this, this up and down, up and down. And then God has a conversation with Moses where he says some really interesting stuff in verse five. God talks about Israel being a treasured possession. And he says, although the whole earth is mine, so I care about everybody, but look at verse six, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation kingdom of priests in a holy nation, a kingdom of priests 
and a holy nation. First of all, let's start with that holy nation part. Holy means set apart, set aside for a special purpose, right? So there's holy things. There's, you know, in, in churches you go to and there's, there's the holy water that's water, you know, set apart. There's the holy shoes, the holy vestments, you know, there are different things that are set apart for other than, than for other things. They're special. And he says, for an entire nation, you're set apart for a special purpose. The whole earth is mine, but you guys have a special calling. And part of that calling, he says, is that you're going to become a kingdom of priests. An entire kingdom of priests says that everyone here is going to hold that special office. In other words, there's no special holy class of paid professional holy men who is the mediator between you and God. That's what a priest is. A priest is the mediator. A priest is different than um, a pastor. It's different than a, a deacon or a minister or a preacher or a church leader. Um, it's interesting, a priest, when you look at some of the offices of the church in the New Testament, it mentions several different offices. There's pastor and there's evangelist and teacher and apostle, different, different ones. Priest is not on the list. It doesn't appear. Because a priest is someone who, who they go to God on behalf of the people, and then they come to the people on behalf of God. They're, they're, in, they're the one in between, right? And you go to the priest to confess, right? Uh, you go to the priest, the priest gives you absolution. You go to the priest to give some form of God's grace. You go to the priest because they represent God, and he dispenses it to you. And he's going to God on your behalf, then he comes back and tells you what God's will is, you know, for your life and this sort of thing. He's coming to you on God's behalf. He's a mediator. And God says, here's, here's how we're going to get rid of this whole religious system altogether. And he doesn't, in a sense, like abolish priests. He says, in other words, I'm going to give you all a promotion. Everybody's promoted, right? You're all an entire nation of priests. You're all priests. In Protestant circles, this is called the, the priesthood of all believers, we're all, but what that means is you can turn, and this is what it means to you and me, you can turn to one another and to pray for you. You can turn to each other to pray for you, to say, hey, what, what is God saying to you? Maybe I can learn from that. We can turn to one another. We can turn to one another for repentance. We're told that in the New Testament. Repent one to another. Repent to each other, right? That's an amazing, amazing promotion that we all just got. And that also doesn't mean, hey, I'm a priest, I don't need anybody else. No, 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 it says, it means I'm a priest, people can turn to me, and, and you're a priest, so I can turn right back to you, right? And, and we can confess our sins to one to another, pray for each other, go to God together, learn from one another, hear the words of God together in community. It also means here as a nation or as a kingdom of priests, and, and we are a kingdom of priests today, and of course that doesn't mean like a, the political entity known as America or Nigeria or France or Kenya or England or anything else. It, it, it's the church, right? This is the church. Is we can be that function for all the other kingdoms of the world. We get to stand in and be that function. All the tribes in the world, we get to take the message of God to the kingdoms around us. It's a beautiful plan of God, and, and it just reveals his heart right off the bat. He tells Israel this. He tells them, I don't want a mediator between you and me. I want intimacy with you. I want all of you to be priests, all of you to come into my presence. So we learn the heart of God right from the beginning, but it doesn't work out that way, not at first. Now, we learn that as the new covenant comes, finally, through Christ, 
God gets his way. We learn from the Apostle Peter. A thousand years later, Peter says, but you are a chosen people. Notice he's using Exodus language. We'll see. That's not it. There it is. You are a chosen people, Peter says. He's talking to the church, right? And, and so in the New Testament, and think about this too. This was radical for their day. You know, we wouldn't think that much about it. We're very egalitarian today. But in their day, this was radical because he's talking to a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, ethnic Jews, ethnic Gentiles, right? Romans and Israelis, Africans, Middle Easterners, Europeans, people all over the empire, right? He's talking to all these people who are very, very different. The whole early church, and he's telling them, you, unified, are a chosen people, the people of God. And he says that we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So he's using the exact language. He's not just making these words up. He's using Exodus language here. It's exactly what God wanted Israel to be. When he told Moses was his heart, that was his plan. And eventually through Christ, the coming of the Holy Spirit, this all comes true. And this is our status today. We are a kingdom of priests. We can go to one another and experience the fullness of what God has to say to us. Having said that, let's look back at what happens in Exodus. The people are like, that sounds great. Yay, we get to have a personal relationship with God himself. We get to hear him speak directly. In verse 9, it says, the Lord said to Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so the people will hear me speaking with you. And down in verse 16, he says, on the morning of the third day, they spent a few days just really preparing themselves. I mean, they, they, just, they were excited about this. On the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and very loud trumpet blast. This wasn't someone playing the trumpet. This is what it sounded like to them. Everyone in the camp trembled. Verse 19, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. Now, here's what's interesting here. It seems as though Moses is having a very intimate experience of the presence of God. Moses is having a conversation with God, and it's just this beautiful thing. For him, it's, it's pure delight, right? But the other people, out of their fear, they hear the voice of God, and to them, it sounds like a trumpet blast, and it freaks them out. Hmm. Hmm. So what for Moses is this beautiful experience becomes a negative experience for everybody else. And this is what happens in the beginning of chapter 20. God actually tries speaking the Ten Commandments to all of Israel. In verse 18, it says, When the people saw that thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear, and they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we'll listen, but do not have God speak to us, or we're going to die. Imagine that. We don't want God to speak to us. Can you imagine saying that today? We want a priest. We want a mediator. We want a professional to stand between us and God. We can't take the fullness of God. And God's already let them know, this is not my heart. But you see here, we have the birth of the religious system, and we are the ones who called for it. God didn't call for it. We called for it. Nope. We need a religious system. We're the ones who said it's too much to have God talking to us directly. And then us sharing with one another as a family, no, 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 no. We need professionals to stand in the gap. We're too freaked out by that level of intimacy 
with the Almighty, to, to know him that well and for him to know us that well. Mm -mm. Uh, there was a, a made-for-TV movie, I don't know if any of you saw it, uh, back in the 1990s. So this is, what was it, like 30-something years ago, 40, 35 years ago, something like that. Um, it was on the life of Moses, but it was starring Ben Kingsley, the great Ben Kingsley. Um, and it's, it's a fascinating movie, and I had forgotten about this, and I was looking at it, you can find it on YouTube. Um, and the thing is, it was made for TV uh, back before the golden age of television, and so it's really low budget. Uh, the, the, there's no special effects, really. And the millions of Israelites, there's only about 70 extras uh, following, walking around. So you just kind of have to, like, put that out of your mind. There's, there's no, like, great special effects and that kind of thing. But what it does, the acting is really good. And, and what it really does so well that no other movie I've seen do so, so terrific is it deals with some of these passages that are left out of, like, the big... Ten Commandments movie, you know, Charlton Heston. It deals with some of these awkward passages. And one of the passages, I love it, it has the courage to just like stare into this. Um, I want to show you a scene. Uh, we kind of edited it together for, for time because it was very long. Um, but I had forgotten how strange this movie was to me back in the 90s. Now, reading the scriptures and going through it, it's kind of like, oh, these writers actually read their Bible. Um, and so you're going to see this scene. It really portrays, I feel like, the heart of God to, to have this intimacy with the people. And only Moses accepts it this way. Everybody else says, no, 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 no. Here, so take a look. Stand assembled today before the Lord your God to enter into a covenant which he is making with you in order that he may establish you as his people and that he may be your God. watch this, I would get choked up. And I was like, why, why does this scene choke me up so much? And because it's just so real, what God wanted 
that he came to reveal himself, that he loved these people so much. He's like, oh, I want to give you all of me. I want to speak to all of you directly. And he comes and he wants nothing more than this intimate relationship, than conversation and friendship. I mean, this is God. He has no other hobbies. You, you are his world, right? You are what he thinks on. The Psalms tell us that he thinks about us. You're on his every thought. He made human beings in his image and in his likeness, and it was so that he could create that which he could have intimate relationship with. And the rest of all of Scripture is the story of God approaching us and approaching us and, and us just saying, no, thank you. Send somebody else to do it. No, someone else can talk to you. We prefer, we prefer to do things our own way. And then we can see why through Jesus he comes in this form that's perhaps less intimidating, right? Through Jesus, he comes in a, in a form that's, that's less glorious, it would seem, so that we're not freaked out by him. And so what, is, what does he do? Jesus comes as the least scary thing that God can imagine, born as a baby. And all the description of, of the Lord metaphorically in the new covenant is what? A lamb. There is nothing threatening about a baby lamb. That is Jesus. And in the end, Jesus still scares us, enough for us to put him to death. And he continues to scare us, those of us who, who want to cling to this religious system. There's something about it we want to cling to. Uh, we, want to need, we, we have this need for a mediator, a go-between. And so as human beings, we just keep propping up this religious system, like this dead body called the law, and, and pretending it's alive, right? The message of Jesus is scary to those who, who want to cling to these, their comfort zones of religious woulds and shoulds and coulds and, you know, do's and don'ts and rituals and rules. And he calls us away from this, that, that role of the mediator. He calls us to a direct relationship with God in the form of Jesus, in the form of God in the flesh. And when they killed Jesus for threatening that religious system. He rises from the dead to keep coming after us. He keeps coming to us with this message of reconciliation, of intimacy, and grace. And see, so what we see in this passage that we just read is that God tried the new covenant. It sounds like he tried the new covenant. He came to us as directly as possible, and we said, no, we're freaked out by it. And so God accommodates us, and he lets Moses become the intermediary but God doesn't give up on his plan. He doesn't give up. He prophesies, even in the, in the Old Testament, uh, he says, this covenant's days are numbered. Uh, guys, can you hit that next scripture? Mine's gone blank. There it is, yeah. So he says this. He says, there's a new covenant coming in Jeremiah 31. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, and it will not be like the old covenant that I made with them when they came out of Egypt. This one's going to be different. Over in Ezekiel, he says in, in Ezekiel 11, he says, one of the things that's going to make it different is I am going to reach inside of them. I'm going to change their heart of stone, and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh, a heart of flesh. I'm going to change their spirit by giving them my spirit. At Pentecost, he comes and says, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit inside you. 
a piece of me right there inside you to partner with your spirit and make you ready for this kind of intimacy that we can have, right? This is the spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy God. And God says, that's all I want. That's all I want is this level of intimacy with you. And I'll go to any lengths to get it. God says, you're my life. You're like the reason I get up in the morning. You're it. And so he's given us his spirit. He's given us himself. He's given up his son. And he calls us once again into this position where hopefully we're not going to say, no, no, it's too much. Before we wrap this up, I want to look at this concept of fearing God. Because it's something that we come across a bunch uh, in the scriptures, but also uh, when I talk to people, I can, it, it's something that trips people up. Fear is a problem in this passage, and we're going to talk about this some more in our home life groups this week, but fear is what is credited here with keeping Israel away from God. In verse 18, it says, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain of smoke, they traveled with, they trembled with fear, and they stayed at a distance, and out of that fear, they tell Moses, you speak to God, don't let him speak to us. In verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Your fear is the problem. Don't be afraid. But here's something interesting. Look at the rest of verse 20. He goes on to say, do not be afraid for God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Moses says, don't be afraid. God doesn't want you to be afraid. Instead, he wants to come and teach you how to be afraid. That's basically verse 20 in a nutshell, right? Do not fear God, because if you fear God, you'll stay away from him. Instead, he wants you to draw close. He wants to draw close to you so so that he can teach you how to fear God. What's with this? It reminds us very much that words have different meanings under different contexts, right? The word for fear in Hebrew and in Greek, uh, has two completely different meanings. Um, and I'd like to say, well, there were two different words for fear here, but it's not. It's the same word. In, in this case, in the same verse, the same word is used, and it, it appears in the same verse. But in all of Scripture, in the Old Testament, New Testament, this word for fear gets used both positively and negatively. Same word. So there's, it's like there's two kinds of fear. So first we see fear number one is that, that God hates me and I am doomed. That's what fear number one tells us. Fear number two tells us that God loves me and I am in awe. One will keep you at a distance and the other will draw you close. It's the same word can be used for both. The context makes all the difference. We're told to fear the Lord and then we're told, but don't fear him. But this is really true for all kinds of language, uh, words, you know, in lots of languages, including English. Uh, we just grow familiar with what we mean by the context, right? Um, we're all familiar with words that are used differently. Uh, if, if I talk about somebody carving their initials in the trunk of a tree, you're not going to like giggle and say trunk of a tree like the tree has a nose like an elephant, right? You know what I'm talking about. Or if I talk about the elephant with his great trunk, you know, trumpeting, some great sound, you're not going to be like, he's a trunk, like there's a tree growing out of the elephant. You wouldn't do that, right? Because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Same, same literal word, different literary meaning. 
right? That's why we say we don't read literally, we read literately, right? That's, that's what we really want to do when we read these scriptures. So you don't even think about these, the ways these words are used differently, just given the context. You know, if we're talking about an elephant or a tree. But the, weird, the word for fear is the same thing. It's, if it is the fear that strikes you and makes you shrink back, that's not of God. We're not given a spirit of fear, but of love and power and sound mind, right? We're not given a spirit of fear. If it is a fear that causes awe and makes you move forward, because we know what God's heart is. We know the priesthood of all believers coming close to him and, and, the, and him wanting us to, to press into one another. That's the fear we're talking about. And in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it gets used in both of these ways. And we reject the one, we embrace the other. It's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. That's the fear that we want, not the fear of God that stands in the way of an intimate relationship with him. Now, Having said all this, I'm fully aware that, that no matter how sort of sweet and cozy we, we, some of us make having a relationship with God sound, like it's just the most wonderful thing in the world, to others of us, that kind of intimacy with the Almighty just sounds scary. It just does. And we're so blessed to live in this new covenant but yet there is something within us that wants to cling to the old, the old covenant, right? We say we want intimacy with God, but in truth, some of us really want to protect ourselves from that level of vulnerability because it's a lot easier to just live your life, go to the paid professional holy man, let him live your spiritual life for you, compartmentalize yourself that way, and, and we say we want intimacy, but really we cling to our systems. We want a predictable spirituality that, that sort of matches our expectations. We like everything packaged in a really neat religious box. We still do. We still do. But if we will surrender to that, that intimacy, that, that intimacy with God's Spirit, it is a beautiful, loving, exhilarating sometimes intimidating, but it's a beautiful way of living, and there's nothing like it. And that's what God wants for you. It's what God wants for all of us. And I would say this, don't look, this is a great example, don't look back at ancient Israel as a model for how to approach God, right? Just because it has recorded them doing it this way, that is not instruction for us to do it the way they did it, right? And this is, I'm, we've said it before, this is like one of the most important parts of our DNA here. And so we, we could say it this way, learn from the whole Bible, but live in the new covenant. Read the whole Bible, but live in the new covenant, right? We, we, we discern God's character from reading the old covenant, from reading these passages, but we live in the new covenant so, so, so don't, don't try to live with one foot planted in the Old Covenant and one foot planted in the New Covenant. First of all, if you're not Jewish, which I would say probably 98% of us in the room are, are not Jewish, 
If you're not Jewish, the Mosaic Covenant was never given to you in the first place. It was never for you, right? And this is exactly what the, the early church in the book of Acts had to wrap their heads around, right? This wasn't, that wasn't given to you anyway, so don't, tr don't try to adopt it. The book of Hebrews is a, has, has a brilliant way, and there's some more we could say about this. We'll, maybe we'll talk some more about this in, a, in another message someday. Uh, but the book of Hebrews has this beautiful way of explaining this, this stepping out of the old covenant, stepping into the new, and really embracing the new. And what I love about Hebrews, it's, in the, it's a New Testament book, that it is specifically talking to people who, um, who are embedded in the old covenant. And it's, it's helping them learn how to let it go so they can be new covenant Christians. And it talks about it again and again from different angles. One of my uh, favorite verses, Hebrews chapter 8, he says, By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one, what's the word? Obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. This is strong language. Notice this is the Bible's own commentary on itself. This is a new covenant critique on the old covenant, right? And he says this whole sacrificial systems, its laws, the religious, you know, do this and blessings and cursings, all this, it is obsolete, it's outdated. The word for obsolete, I wanted to look it up just to make sure it meant what we think it does, and it does. It means something that is so old it's no longer useful. So old is no longer useful, right? Like a pair of shoes that are falling apart and they're comfy. I was, just, I was just telling Mel earlier in the week, I have these pair of chucks, right? I love these shoes. They're my Converse All-Stars. They're beautiful. And I put them on and I was so sad because they're so comfy, but the soles had come apart. The little glue had come apart, right? And so I'm walk, walking and it's like all flopping like this, right? <laughs> like a little penguin feet, right? And I'm like, oh. And I'm like, can these be fixed? She's like, I don't know. I was like, I want them to, you know, I, I don't want to throw them away. They're so comfy. They're like, you know, we've been through so much together, me and my chucks, right? And it's like this pair of shoes, putting them on. They're so comfy. They're so known, right? We've been through a lot, but they're actually hindering the way I walk. So that while I'm wearing them, I'm stumbling. So this thing that was designed to help me walk better, that is the law. That was the old covenant law. This thing is designed to help me walk better is now hindering what it was first designed to do. So this morning, I want to pray that you and I would have the courage to repent, number one, of our tendency to cling to the old because it's comfortable, it's known, it's controllable, predictable. But we would also repent of our tendency to, to be like Israel in this moment and to say, you know, well, you know, we'll let, we'll let Scott, he can just be, you know, he can live our spiritual life for us. Or Pastor Albert or Pastor Mel or Pastor Monica or any of the teachers around here. We'll let them, you know, do the spiritual work for us. Or maybe it's a preacher that you like, someone, you know, on, online or on YouTube or, or, some, or a book. I really love this author. I'm just going to, like, live my spiritual life through them. Let them substitute whoever your Moses is. We've got to repent this tendency to let them substitute for our relationship with God.
And then I want to pray that we fall in love again with the God who has fallen in love with us. And this God who fills us with his spirit, that we would say that I want more of God. I need more of God. And that means pressing into the people of God. Because I need to get closer to my brothers and sisters because his spirit is in you too. And I find his spirit speaking through you. And yeah, God is big. I know he is. He's, he's this awesome, yeah, he would be scary if we ever like saw him for, you know, his fullness, the way, the way he must look. He's the great force that created the universe. But that great force that created the universe loves us. He loves you. And when we realize it was this great force, this awesome force behind the creation of all that exists, that then comes down to us and says, I love you. All I want to do is love you. And for you to love me back, let's do life together. When we get a sense of that, I think, I think all of the arguments over which is the definition of this fear or that fear, all of that become really utterly insignificant because we will be in such loving awe of the God who loves us, the Lamb who has utterly captured our hearts. So I want to pray that we would say yes to this offer of his love today. Whether you're here today and you've been Christian, a Christian a long time, or maybe you haven't been a Christian very long, or maybe you're not at all. You're just sort of feeling this whole thing out. You're, you're looking for answers. You're looking for truth. You're looking for an intimacy, and there's only one place to find it. I want to pray for all of us today. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, Lord, give us the courage to say yes today in whatever form you show. Help us not to run away, but to run toward you. Help us, for those who have been hurt in the past, Lord God, give us the courage to put down our walls and to give you a chance to hear your voice, your voice that's spoken so clearly through the life and the teachings of Jesus. Help us to sense the intimacy that you offer us through the presence of your Holy Spirit, both in our quiet time with you and in our time of community with other brothers and sisters, Lord. Help us to sense your presence and to hear your voice speaking through them. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, will you stand to your feet with me today as our prayer partners are coming forward? If there's anything at all you need prayer about, whatever's going on in your life, if it's a physical issue, you need healing in your body, you need a financial miracle, you need a, a miracle in a relational issue in your life, whatever it is, these guys would love to pray with you. Just come on down and let them pray with you in faith. And maybe if, you, if today's a day you want to come back to Jesus or come to Jesus for the first time and just take that step, he wants to meet you right there. He's down here. He's, he's at, God is at the bottom of the mountain. He's waiting for you and they would love to lead you in that prayer and guide you into that next step of relationship. Amen. So friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance 
and grant you his peace in this day that we're living in. Let's be kingdom people this week. Amen. Grace and peace be with you.